Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert health care to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. This week, I'm delighted to welcome two new WOCN fellows, Dr. Barbara Piper and Dr. Charles Buscini. We're going to be talking about the process and their experiences and some suggestions they have for success if you're considering applying for the fellows program. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to talk to you about our WOCN Fellows Program. And I always like to start by finding out about your WAC nursing background, because I think everybody is always interested in people's career paths to WOC nursing. So maybe Barb, will start with you on that. Well, my WOC nursing education and contribution started many, many years ago. I was teaching fundamentals of nursing at a university, which I taught across my entire career, and more products were coming out for wound care in addition to gauze. Gauze was all that was there when I first started, and so I decided to go to one of the educational programs so I could strengthen my background for teaching undergraduate students. So I attended Abbott Northwestern WOC program in 1989. And at that time, after I finished, I also joined WOCN organization, which I feel is important. And I have no regrets for doing that at the beginning of my career. As I began to get involved with the work I was doing with students, I also started a clinical practice which was involved with wound care for individuals with a history of substance abuse or injection drug use, which led to some more publications and some more grant money and a continuation of my research and professional career. And I've enjoyed every second of it. And Charlie, tell us a little bit about your background. I think you're in academia too, at least partially, right? No, full-time. I'm a full-time academician. I'm a full clinical professor at Florida International University in Miami. And for those of you who aren't familiar with FIU, FIU is part of the state university system, just like Florida State University, University of Florida. My 34 years of nursing, wound care has always been a major component of what I've done, whether formally or informally. I was a home health nurse for many years. And as a home health nurse, we know that wound care is a big component of what home health nurses do. Um, After I became a nurse practitioner, I had an opportunity to join a wound care practice because I remember when I graduated from NP school, I always wished that there was something that bridged both roles, the home health role and the NP role. But at that time, 22 years ago, when I graduated, there wasn't really anything out there for nurse practitioners. And so I found this company 18 years ago that does house calls. And I'm still with them. Actually, I started full time with them. And then once I went into academia, I went part-time and I'm just per diem. I do a couple of cases a month. So I still maintain an active practice as a wound care nurse practitioner, board certified as a CWCN, actively published and active in the WOCN organization. And I try to inspire wound care in my students. I teach in the family nurse practitioner program as well. And I give a lecture every year 
on the role of wound care from a primary care provider point of view. And that's it. I'm just excited with being here and everything that's happening in the organization. And so you both were members, are members of the inaugural uh, WOCN Fellows class. And so maybe, Charlie, we'll start with you. What made you apply for this honor? It's pretty rigorous from what I understand. It is quite rigorous, and there's just a little bit of a story. So in 2021, well, I had always thought, I always wondered why such an organization as large as the WOCN did not have a fellows program when all the major nursing organizations had one. And it wasn't until 2021 when I think the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiologists did their inaugural program and inducted their inaugural class because a colleague of mine in the nurse anesthesiology department had become inducted. At that point, I was on the membership engagement committee, which I still am for the WOCN. And I reached out to Heather, who is the admin liaison to our committee. And I said, I'm interested in creating the fellow program for the organization. What do I need to do? So she said, why don't you develop a small proposal and I will take it to the board. And that's what I did. I wrote up a very small, brief proposal highlighting what other organizations have done, the major nursing organizations, and it was submitted to the board. It got back to me that the board was interested in creating the fellows program and they wanted to develop a fellows exploratory task force if I would chair it since I had brought the idea forth. And I said, of course. So I assembled a team and we got to work. And for the next two or three months, we exhaustively looked at the criteria for all the major nursing organizations, focusing especially on the nurse anesthesiology organization because they had just created it. So a lot of it was modeled on how they did it. I presented it to the board as the chair of the task force and later found out that the board approved it and they were going to move forward. Most of the criteria that they used was based on the criteria that we submitted as a task force in the spirit of transparency None of the task force members were afforded automatic fellowship. I had to apply just like everybody else. And you're right. It was quite rigorous. The essays were quite involved. Letters of recommendation were very, very involved as well. And I feel proud because the fact that I had to go through the process, in spite of it being my initial idea of being chair of the task force and bringing it to the board for approval, I was just glad that I had to apply like everybody else. Wow, that's great. And how about you, Barb? What piqued your interest in applying for this? What piqued my interest in applying was when I looked at the posted website for it, I thought to myself it would be a neat experience to look across my career in terms of my accomplishments with this organization and within this profession. So I used it as a way of self-examination per se. I was not part of that original committee. I did not know ahead of time that it had even formed. So mine was strictly a way to look at what I accomplished, what I would still like to do, and things of that nature. And then you also have the FAAN honor, which is the Fellow of the American Academy of Nursing. How was that process different than the WOCN? That process took place a million years ago. Okay. It was actually 1992. So to tell you how they compare, I can't. But I will say Fair. that the American Academy of Nursing does have an outstanding website with a lot of detailed information about what they require, some examples of their requirements. And so Charles, 
he used the nurse anesthesia site. I looked a lot at the American Academy of Nursing site, and there are other groups too, but it just gives you an idea of how you can respond to questions, how you can get organized if this is something you want to do. So it was self, strictly self-evaluation for me. I wanted to see where I fit. And I think one of the clear distinctions between the FAN and FANP and ours, and at this point, the nurse anesthesia, is the fact of sponsorship. Because we were inducted as an inaugural group, there aren't established sponsors. But in our proposal to the board as a task force was that we would evolve eventually as more fellows are inducted into the WOCN, where it would be formed like the other organization would be a sponsorship model. I could be wrong, but I don't believe the Academy was always based on sponsorship either. I think they had a strong focus on mentorship, that it was best if you had someone who was an Academy member mentor you through the process. Over the years, they've become more and more and more detailed in their whole program which will possibly happen even with a WOCN program. But it is interesting to look across different models to see at this point what will work for a candidate. So you both did the process as it was set up. And so how did you find that? And do you have any tips for somebody that may be considering applying for this coming year? Well, for myself, when you're in academia, you're a little bit of an advantage because especially if you're going through promotions, You have to look at your teaching, your service, your research and scholarship. So you develop and amass a body of work that could be applied to aspects that the WOCN fellowship requires. But I also don't want to frame it in a way that it discourages those who are clinicians and who are doing excellent work in clinicians and who are impacting not only locally, nationally, and globally, their work as clinicians. And that's why I've always kept a clinical practice, because I've wanted to make sure that I've always tied, whether it's my teaching, my service, and my scholarship and research to my clinical practice as a wound care nurse practitioner. I think what you need to look at is what impact have you had on patient care, patient policy in your area of specialty? How does that impact other areas as well within nursing? And I think the best way to go about it is to do a self-assessment and a self-evaluation. And it can be quite eye-opening to see what you've done and what you haven't done and identifies gaps. Even at this level where some of us has reached, there are still areas where I know that I need to make sure that I focus on to improve on and to make more of an impact. I would like to add a couple points. And one is, this I've seen with some mentoring that I've done within the organization, and that is keeping an up-to-date curriculum vitae or resume, if you want to call it that, and making sure that what you accomplished is put on that CV, because some of the questions that you respond to for this application, or I'm sure for others, You have to use your CV and you can cut and paste certain things. And that helps a lot. If you do not have an up-to-date CV, it's just going to make everything a longer process. So I highly recommend that. I also recommend, as Charles said, look across your career and what you were able 
to accomplish and think about your greatest contributions or how you significantly impacted something or you significantly improved something and was this sustained over time so that you can, it's more than just one little thing at a time. You have to show how everything pulls together and shows growth. And so having those pieces ready for you to pull them together will mean a tremendous amount. So that's just like updating your resume or CV every time you do something so that you're not going crazy the next time you're needed for something. You know, again, in academia, we're sort of forced to keep an up-to-date CV because you have yearly evaluations, you're up for promotions. So plus at our university, we use an electronic system dashboard that populates all your information there. So it's easy and accessible because we don't do any more paper submissions for promotions or evaluations. It's all electronic. So if you have a way of keeping that electronically, and it's even the most simple things, you know, we have a lot of nurses who are doing major work in facilities. They're on committees, they're on pressure injury committees, they're on ostomy committees, they're on confidence committees. And a lot of these committees do a lot of work. And this is a good opportunity to take that information, create an abstract, submit it, do a quality improvement project in your facility and publish it. These are the things that little by little start building your resume and building your level of expertise in your clinical area. And I think those are the tips that I would probably give up for somebody who is starting off wondering, how can I, in five to 10 years, become a fellow? And if you're that seasoned clinician, like Barb said, pull all that stuff together, get it centralized, and see what's going on with your career and what impacts you've made directly. And I always tell people what impacts you've made on patients and patient care. As well as on the profession. And with a couple of the nurses that I've worked with the last couple of years, After their abstract was accepted, because I try to take things in chunks when I work on a one-to-one, and I would say, okay, now, this presentation, this poster, this presentation can be part of your professional record, of your CV, and this is a way that you can note it on your CV, and I always get this, oh, And then because the WOCN puts those abstracts in the journal, it counts as a published abstract. So then I'll give them an example. This is how you can put a published abstract in your CV. And it's that working with a mentor and building these pieces that help, I think, a person look globally in terms of what they were able to to accomplish also. And I think it's networking and establishing relationships, not mm-hmm. only amongst ourselves. I was very fortunate. We have a very large university. You know, We have more than 55,000 students in our university. It's one of the largest in the country. And we offer degrees in all types of disciplines. And I've been able to partner with a researcher from the biomedical engineering department who had created an instrument that measures a wound healing using near-infrared light in diabetic foot ulcers. And she, eight years ago, reached out to the dean and said, I do know anybody who's a wound care specialist because I need someone who's a clinical expert. And I've been working with her for the past nine years. We've submitted R01s. We're just working right now on a $2.1 million grant through the NIH. These are those opportunities that don't think that it has just to be within nursing or healthcare. Branch out. We see what's going on in your industry because those people who need you as a clinical expert, 
I may not be the PI or the co-PI, but I am the clinical expert when it comes to terms to her research. And so the application says expertise in education, research, policy advocacy, quality, member engagement. Do you think a person, based on your experience, this has to be like a rock star in every one of those areas to be successful? Or what are your thoughts on that? I would say no. I think a person can possibly have a little bit of expertise in lots of different areas, but it's important in an application like this to highlight what a person's maybe primary and secondary strengths are so that if this person is a rock star in writing grants and then those grants being funded and then it having this impact, this impact, this impact, that's great. Maybe that person is a rock star in evidence-based practice and from the project that was done, it impacted the healthcare system this way, this way, this way. So that a person to me does not need to be an expert in everything, but the individual needs to be able to state how their expertise really highlights their profession, the effect on the organization, the effect on patient care. So it can be primary secondary pieces, or maybe it's just two or three parts of your career that you want to focus on. It's knowing what to highlight and highlight well. And again, for me, I always go back to clinical practice. I'm an excellent clinician and I made sure that I was a rock star clinician. And because I was a rock star clinician, it informed my research and scholarship. So I used my clinical practice as a source for my scholarship and my research. I may use it as a source for my service in the WOCN. And I use it as a source for my teaching. Finding ways, even though I'm not in a WOC program, I find ways to make sure that I incorporate WOC concepts in my teaching as a family nurse practitioner or professor, whether it's giving a lecture, whether it's tying in my clinical practice in the classroom so people can see how you can use real world experiences when you're teaching. So again, for me, the rock star is my patient care and everything else just falls in place because that's what I use to inform everything else, other components of what I've done in my career. And so, Barb, you have that expertise in the people who use injectable drugs and you practice there, and then you've written widely on that topic. And so that's sort of the same thing Charlie's saying, too. The pieces start to build. So, and there's a recommendation letter that's required. So when you approached whoever wrote your letters, what did you ask them to do? Did you say, I just need a letter, I want to be a fellow? Or did you give them some direction about what, would be a, a supportive and positive thing to say about that? In my case, what I did was I framed it within the three components. I had a colleague in my clinical practice who is the regional director of the clinical practice, so she could speak on my clinical practice. This biomedical researcher, I framed her letter as regards to my contribution to wound care. And then from my teaching component, the chair of my department framed my contributions in WOC nursing as far as teaching excellence. I would like to add to what Charles said, and I think for anyone asking for a letter, it's critical that the letter writer is given information about the purpose 
as well as just general information about what the individual is applying for so that that person has an idea of some of the things that should be highlighted as well as highlighting yourself to that individual, but making sure they understand what the organization is and why you need this letter and the importance of it versus just saying, I need a letter and a story. So I agree 100% with what Charles said, and I would just make sure that the letter writer understood what the fellowship is for this organization and the purpose of it. And then you as the applicant also have to write an essay, I believe. And so I'm thinking also that you probably are sort of highlighting the same things you're asking your recommendation person to do. But will you talk about some important things to put in that essay if I were thinking about doing that? Well, an essay is, as the word says, it's an essay. And I think because some of the wordage for the essays sound similar to the words requested for the CV components, like put your publications here, put this there. And so an individual needs to understand that it's not just where it says, I give an essay of X, it's not just you listing any longer what your publications are or what all the grants are or what all the evidence-based practice projects are. But looking hard at that, the components in what that essay is to be and writing it as an essay versus not bullet, 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 bullet. And so I think an individual needs to keep that in mind. An essay can take time to write because it is more than just a bullet. And I agree. Sometimes it's hard to do a self-examination and then write your life in a way that you're telling a story. Essentially, what we did was storytelling about who I am and why I believe that I'm worthy of becoming a fellow of the organization. So you provide examples of your expertise in WOC nursing. You demonstrate that, not just provide examples, but you demonstrate that in a narrative format. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't have some bullet points embedded there like I did, but at the end of the day, it reads like a story. I think we also need to show how the person can conduct evidence-based and data-driven projects. How do they do that? What impact did they have on actual practice? And what examples do they have for that? Also, what have you done to go beyond the ordinary WOC nurse? And then it's kind of hard when you think about that. What does that mean going beyond? Because I don't think any WOC nurse is ordinary. I think all WOC nurses are extraordinary. So it's looking in how you were able to make a greater impact than if you were just for someone which is perfectly fine clocking in and clocking out to do your work as a WLT nurse. How did you service the organization or how did you make sure that your facility or your organization values and how instrumental you were in making sure that members of our specialty are highly valued? I think developing, for example, my biggest thing is mentorship. I can't tell you how many uh, nurse practitioners who've never even done wound care, and I've recruited a lot from my practice. I've been through who graduated as FMPs, and we recruit them, and I've mentored them to become wound care specialists. That may not be a tick in my CV, but how I frame it in a narrative format, telling the story, and maybe getting excerpts from mentees of mine and embedding it and showing how 
I've impacted their lives. I do a yearly lecture for the family nurse practitioners on wound care from the perspective of a primary care provider, because a lot of the consults that I've gotten were from primary care and they're poor consults. They're not good consults and I have to do a lot of fixing to get the wound there. So I figured, why don't I teach the nurse practitioner students from the get-go what it is to do for the wounds at the beginning and before they refer it. I can't tell you how many times I got emails, calls, texts from former students say, oh, you know, Dr. Buscemi, thank you for that lecture because now I see this wound in my practice and even though it's a family practice, I know what I need to do and I know when I should refer it. And I'm not trying to clean up a mess there. And those are the little things that you have to learn how to frame that in a story because those are the things that ordinary WOC nurse extraordinary. And then we talked a little bit before about being in academia and all the process for evaluations and promotion and tenure. Just having the WOCNF fellow designation, is that a good thing to have in academia as far as promotion and tenure is concerned? Or is that organization or university driven? What do you both think about that? Well, I don't know about Barbara's institution, but in the, in the Florida State University, it is very important. And it's one of the metrics that's used to measure quality within an organization. At the College of Nursing and Health Sciences, it's highly regarded as an important component. Getting a fellowship isn't dependent on whether you get promotion or not, or getting promoted whether you have one or not, but it adds a layer of prestige to the college. And because I come from a College of Nursing and Health Sciences, so we're just not nursing. We're nursing, we're PT, OT, ST, athletic training, health service administration. We've had fellows in the occupational therapy, fellows from the anesthesia, all fellows from across the disciplines. Everyone is treated with the same respect and given the recognition that they deserve. I agree, but I think it's also very important that the individual look within his or her university setting because... In some university settings, the primary focus of promotion and tenure is going to be on scholarship, namely research, publications, presentations. That's where the primary focus is going to be. And yes, a fellowship adds an important piece of the background for that individual in terms of recognition, but I don't think the candidate should think that having this fellowship is a guarantee of promotion and or tenure within their setting. Some programs focus instead on education instead of uh, scholarship. And if that's the focus of that college or university, then they have to make sure that their promotion tenure documents focus on education. The institution is going to drive the critical factors for promotion and tenure. So that's right. different than where you are. Right. And you know, in my case, I'm on a non-tenure track. So when I started, I started off as a clinical assistant professor, and now I'm a full clinical professor. And the way we get promoted, there is a component of research and scholarship, but since research is not the major focus of non-tenure faculty, we also get evenly weighted our service and our teaching versus someone who's on a tenure track. The primary, as Barb said, is the research and scholarship. And so say I'm that newer, younger clinician who wants to be a WOCNF in the future. You talked a little bit about putting things on your CV and really accounting for the different projects and things you're involved in. Is there anything else you would suggest as far as 
trying to build a portfolio of good experience for that goal? I would strongly, strongly recommend certification in uh, WOCNCB. I can't emphasize that enough. I think it is so important. I would recommend that. The other is membership within the organization. To me, both of those are just critical. Yeah, I would have to agree 100%. In fact, when we had submitted our recommendation for the creation of the fellows program, we had our recommendation included mandating um, certification and membership, of course. They chose, the board chose membership, not certification as part of the, so I don't know how that's going to evolve because things are evolving, which is good. This is a fledging program that's going to grow. I would definitely recommend now that at least there's a list of some fellows, you know, reaching out to one of us and seeing how we can mentor people. I'm more than willing to do that. And in fact, one of the criteria is that we need to help at least one person every year. I've tried to reach out because there hasn't been any formal process on how that's going to be, how fellows are going to nominate a person for this upcoming cohort. I guess from what I understand, there's a new task force that's being developed to look at evolving criteria, which I think is good. And I think the organization itself, there are so many wonderful resources within the organization. Even that community boards that we have on our website, they're so good and they're so vast. And the connections that you can make can be lifelong and impact you both from a clinical standpoint, from a policy to practice to academia. So I think those are starting to develop those connections is what I would do. But definitely with Barca, the first thing I would do is make sure that you try to get your certification as, a, as, as one of the clinical school specialties. And then now as this process is evolving, Barb, you're leading a task force that's moving the initial work along. Is that right? Correct. We were asked to look across everything that has been done to date and get input. Should it be tweaked in some ways? There's still an awful lot, as Charles said, needs to be done, but we are moving forward and it's a beginning group and it's just going to take some time to totally evolve. Because I'm on that group, I have to be careful with what I share, Jody, in terms of that. But the application process will start after the first of the year. And you'll be able to see any of the changes and the information that's there. I know that we've decreased the number of reference letters from three to two. I believe we also agreed that we thought that certification was important. So we have added certification in, to my knowledge. But all of that will be spelled out in full come the first of the year. So say somebody goes through this whole process and is unsuccessful, would you, if somebody sought out your opinion about that, what would you recommend? Retry? You know how if lose an election, sometimes you retry again or get some other appointment. Sometimes you'll relook at what you submitted and retry. What, what would you suggest about that? I think Barb has more experience with that because I know that there's, from the fan side, not many people get in the first try. It's in the second and third try. An individual can always, with currently, retry with the WOCN. The issue is there is a reason 
that the person was not awarded the fellowship. And that individual has to be willing to sit down and look very hard at possibly what the questions were and how that individual responded and what can be changed. And to me, that would best be done with a mentor or with, if you want to use the word sponsor, but it is hard to look at yourself when there's been a failure. That's not easy to do. That is very, very challenging to do. All I can say is if the person feels strongly about it, they should do it. I can remember one time when there was a mock grant review for an R01 that I was submitting, and it was just ripped apart, ripped apart into a million pieces. And people said to me, how could you sit there and listen to that? Well, if you're going to grow and learn, you have to. You have to work with someone who understands the process and really strive to improve because of what that person said. And for us, it worked. We got that grant. And it was just by the hard listening. And it takes a lot of that hard listening and redoing. You probably have experienced the same, Charles. Of course, in many aspects, we're really forced to examine where you need to go to make improvements. And I think, I don't know how many applied for our cohort and how many got rejected, even though I was on the exploratory task force. I was not privy to any information. I was treated as an applicant like everybody else. And I don't know what's going to be done with this second cohort coming in. So I don't know if the rejection letters are going to have some information with regards to why they weren't accepted. But I think that if someone wanted to reach out and afterward and reach out to me to look at their essays or their application, I could say, well, maybe you need to bulk up a little bit on this, bulk, focus more on this. So those types of things can help. Even though we, there's nothing formalized yet, I think that we should be able to help people during this process. So I'm expecting that once the website goes live, to be getting emails, to be honest with you, to help those who need help with the caveat that there's no guarantee because the fellow's helping you that they could, that's going to get you into the, but at least get them on track. Now, I'm not good at memorizing numbers, but when they published the article in JWCN about the fellowship, they did state how many people applied, how many were accepted. And do you know, Jody, is it around six I thought it was in that article, but they did release those statistics. I swear they did. Those statistics are out there for people to see. Oh, good. I didn't know that because the only thing I saw was when they published our pictures with the announcement. Is that the article you're talking about? That's the article. And I can't remember if that was announced at inauguration either, that there were X number of applicants. And I think, are there 12 in our cohort? Yes. Yes. That number. Yeah. Yeah. And then, well, for both of you, is there anything now you were successful, which is great, but is there anything now that you've looked back on that experience that you felt like you should have added to your application or, oh, I could have done a better job at this part of it or any other things that you might pass on to somebody that is uh, considering this for the next year? I probably would have worded the essays differently. Now that I have a broader understanding per se and have looked across different documents. But other than that, I would leave what I did alone. I agree. 
after I submitted it and you click enter and it's all there already, I was like, God, you know what? I have so many close friends in academia, but it's such a vulnerable process. And part of you doesn't want to share because God forbid you go through the embarrassment of not getting it. I wish I would have shared my essays with some close colleagues just from an editing standpoint to make sure that it tells a story that I wanted to tell. And did the process make you think of other things you might want to do professionally? Pique some interest in, oh, uh, this isn't hasn't been a strength. I might want to add this to my professional plans. For either of you, any of that? It pushed me to get appointed to the editorial board for the JWOCN, which is happening. And I'll be section editor for wound care. So different skill set to add to everything else. Correct. Nice. How about you, Barb? Well, I'm at a totally different place in my career, and I did the section editing, which was an outstanding experience. I've been on a lot of committees, but I have not been elected to the board. But at this point in my career, I'm happy with where I am. And I do a lot of volunteer things, and I'll help in any way as a volunteer like that. That's a nice place to be. You know, one thing I noticed when I got promoted to full clinical professor this year I felt strange. I said, God, there's nothing else to work for because I'm at the highest rank from a non-tenure standpoint. And I'm not planning on going on tenure, you know, not almost 35 years in nursing. I'm scratching 60. So I'm already looking at retiring in a few years, believe it or not. I know Botox does amazing work. (laughs) Our listeners can't see it, Charlie. I was going to say, unfortunately, the listeners can't see us. But And you can tell I like to joke around, but I think what I like about where I am in my career is that I'm at the point where I can pick and choose what I want to do and Mm -hmm. partake in what I want to do. And I don't have that pressure of academic promotion per se anymore. So, Well, what else is important? You told us all kinds of things that were really good information. I think will be really good for people who might be considering applying for the next fellow program. So anything else important that we should have talked about that I didn't ask you about? One of your questions, Jody, is about international members. And at this point in time, being an international individual does not have an effect on the application. What does have an effect is the person being certified, board certified within the WOCNCB as well as being a member of the organization. But currently the application does not ask for country of origin or country of life or anything like that. So that's interesting. The other is some of what the group is looking at long-term that eventually, I'm not sure when, but there may be honorary fellows, which are those individuals who are not WOCN nurses, that's something that's been uh, recommended, but it has to be totally written up. The other is to award this to individuals who are deceased. And we currently do not have guidelines on that yet either, but those will evolve, I'm sure, over time. And the other is the living legacy, which is a fellow who has enduring and substantive work. So there are a lot of other categories per se that I think will evolve within this. It's just going to take some time. 
I'm glad to hear about the honorary fellows because the task force for the fellows exploratory committee, that was one of the recommendations that we submitted when we presented to the proposal to the board. So I'm glad that that's going to be happening sometime. Well, I didn't say happening. I said it has to that's, be developed and looked that's at. Being de- that's being so developed. Hopefully it will happen. It's on the list of things it's on to the address. List to look at, yep. Well, thank you both for joining me for today. I really appreciate having you. And I learned lots about the fellow program. So I'm thankful. And I think our listeners will be really happy to hear what you have to say. Well, well thank, thank you, for you having Jody. Me. And it was wonderful, Charles, to work with you. Same here, Barbara. It was a wonderful experience. It was wonderful being inducted with you on the inaugural class. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit WOCN.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's WOCN.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. Walk Talk.